Welcome to The Gaslighting Effect. I'm Angela, writer, teacher, cult survivor. After decades of being silenced, I'm finally finding my voice. If you listened to the last episode, you might be asking yourself how my parents got to be the way they are. They're a little bit unusual. They're Mormon, but not really your typical stereotypical Mormons, but also very devout. And it made my family kind of an interesting subculture unto itself, which is why today I want to focus on my family's culture. There's this scripture in the Book of Mormon, 2 Nephi 4.4, that goes like this, For the Lord God hath said that inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land, and inasmuch as ye will not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off from my presence. This is an oft-quoted scripture in the church that I grew up in. Because there's this belief that if a person is righteous and they're doing everything they're supposed to do, that they're going to prosper, that they're going to be well-off, wealthy, rich, have a good life, have a nice spouse, have beautiful, intelligent kids. And in my congregation growing up, there was sort of this keeping up with the Joneses mentality. The Christmas letters would come out every year and the other families in the church would talk about all the amazing things their children had accomplished. My, ch- my child ran a marathon, um, my husband ran a marathon, or my kids get straight A's and they play the piano and they won this competition and it was, it was like this sort of competition of which family was the most perfect when you read all the Christmas letters. That's the kind of culture that my congregation cultivated. And to make it even more um, interesting, you know, a little more different, um, it was very, very Republican. And so much so, so I I call sort of my church family girl, growing up, I call them a congregation. But in Mormonism, we call those bodies wards. So in the ward where I grew up, uh, consisting of people who lived around us, because wards are actually zoned by where people live, you're assigned to go to a certain meeting based on where you live. And to have a certain ward family based on where you live. We had an incredibly conservative Republican culture. It was, it was the white suburbs mostly. And you have all of these wards. And then above the wards you have this guy called a stake president. Because all the wards together make up a stake. Not like the stake that you eat but more like the stake of a tent. That's the metaphor. Is that the stakes are all like the stakes of a tent and they hold up the kingdom of God. So our stake president was in our ward and he was a devout follower 
of the John Birch Society. If you've not heard of the John Birch Society, they're very pro-gun, um, pro the founding fathers were were religious and worshipped God and just extremely right wing. And back then, when I was growing up in the 80s mostly, they were considered fringe. Now they're a little more mainstream, which is kind of sad. But back then they were considered fringe. And there were a lot of people in my ward who believed you could not be a Democrat and a good church member. They thought it was impossible. And my parents were Democrats. Now, the people in my ward equated being conservative and Republican so much with religion. They actually were people in the ward who would go door to door passing out John Birch Society pamphlets and literature, like leaders in the church, which they aren't supposed to do, but that's what it was like in this area. And my parents, believing if they were righteous and did everything they were supposed to do and were obedient to God, that they would be wealthy and not just wealthy, but respected, that they would be treated well. Well, they really weren't treated well in that in that culture, my parents are Democrats. My dad is a musician. And he's a very competent musician. He was a musician who was able to support his family. Uh, and who was able to make good money. So he was successful in that regard. And he taught students and he had a really good reputation as a teacher. In addition to having a really good reputation as a musician. But he was not looked upon by a lot of the other members of the ward as someone to respect because those given status, those given high callings, had a tendency to be doctors, lawyers, politicians. I mean, I don't know that we called it the prosperity gospel growing up, but that's really what it was. It was this belief that people who were wealthy and who were doing well in the economy and who had prestigious jobs were actually more righteous and God was blessing them. So how well off you were was an indication to the leaders in the ward of how righteous you were. That's messed up. So here are my parents trying really hard to fit in, to be respected to look perfect, to follow all of the rules to the letter. And they're Democrats, so they don't they're never going to fit in. But they sure are trying. They're trying really hard. And as children of these parents who didn't quite fit in in the ward, I don't blame them for this. I actually think this is one of the more endearing things about my parents. The fact that they weren't Republicans. The fact that they weren't like everybody else. It's something that I find very endearing in them. But it made it hard for us children in that culture because we didn't fit in either. We were seen as nerdy, geeky, um, 
socially awkward, odd, you know, we didn't quite fit. And part of that was because of our parents. And another part of that was the fact that our home was dysfunctional. And so there were certain needs we didn't have met. And another part of that was that I think my siblings and I think a lot of us have, I think a lot of us are on the autism spectrum, actually. High functioning, but but explains a lot about how we couldn't pick up on a lot of the social cues. There's a lot going on there. A lot to unpack. But I tell you all of this because I grew up with this sense of not being good enough. I wasn't good enough for my parents because I was the scape I was the scapegoat child and I wasn't good enough for the community really no matter what I did because all of us children were sort of marked with this oh you're kind of weird you're in that weird family and your parents are democrats and you don't fit in my older brother who's very intelligent and has made a very good career for himself and is very respected now was the butt of jokes in high school all the other mormon kids would laugh at him that was his role was to be laughed at and my younger brother who is now a corporate lawyer and super rich and him and I don't talk because he's also an asshole. Sorry, it's true. Uh, but I understand why he is how he is. He grew up feeling inferior. He, he was a short kid for his age and he was picked on. And he, while he was really, really smart, he had to see himself as superior in order to survive. And so he's really grown up with sort of a superiority complex. So I also grew up with this idea, not that I was superior, but that I was inferior. And that I had to prove myself. Not just because of my place in the family, all of that was part of it, but also because of my place in the community and not fitting in and having a learning disability. And always feeling like I just didn't know how to behave in social situations. I was just, I was not the child that my parents would have put any money on. So I had to prove myself. And so I went through life with this idea that I had to work super hard and earn people's respect in order to be lovable, which is very messed up because... Ideally, everyone should be loved how they are. Love is not something that you earn. Respect, maybe, but love, no. You you shouldn't go through life feeling like it's okay for people to treat you crappy unless you're perfect. But that was really my mindset. When people were mean to me, I thought there must be a good reason for it. Oh, it's because there's something wrong with me. I'm broken. And I have to prove myself. And I have to prove... That I can do everything they want me to do and be everything that they want me to be and accomplish everything they want me to accomplish in order to be treated with respect. That was really my viewpoint. So when I met my husband, who's no longer my husband, he's now my ex, he acted a lot like my mother in that he told me what I could say and what I could not say. 
and we would have discussions where he would tell me that I was too sarcastic or that I was not behaving appropriately. Uh, and, and he would tell me when I could and could not talk. And he would become offended by anything I said that would, would challenge his perceptions or, or his racism, because frankly, he's kind of racist. You know, I wasn't allowed to call him out on anything. And I accepted that because I believed that I was inferior and I believed that I needed his guidance in order to be lovable. And then to add to the unhealthiness of this culture that I grew up, but also my parents grew up in, as covered in the last episode, I talked about all the strange things that I was taught about sex and women being objects and women needing to fulfill men, and that was their primary role. Uh, There was... Just a general consensus that these attitudes were normal in my community. So when I was engaged and my future husband began picking at little things that I couldn't control, I didn't see it as a red flag. You know, oh, I just wish that your butt were a little bit smaller, you know. We hadn't even slept together yet. But he's, he's criticizing something I really can't control. I just, you know, wish that your hair were a little bit thicker. Oh, you're blonde. I don't know. You know, I've never really liked blondes. I like you, but I kind of feel like I'm settling. He told me this when we were dating. I kind of feel like I'm settling. I like brunettes, don't really like blondes. What is, what is the color of the hair down there? He would ask me. So inappropriate. I should have run the other way. But I believed that I had to prove myself to be treated with respect and with kindness. The very first appointment I went to with a gynecologist was really not that different. It was a Mormon gynecologist who uh, was respected. He had a practice and and people trusted him and my parents trusted him because he was Mormon. They brought me to him because he was Mormon. So I walk into this gynecologist's office and I have my first appointment. And first of all, you're already in a terribly uncomfortable position because you have to take your clothes off and you're lying on this table and your knees are practically up to your ears and you're looking at these bright bright fluorescent lights. It's not exactly a warm, cozy, comforting environment. And here comes this man into the room and he's looking between your legs. First time. Oh, such an uncomfortable experience. And this man did not have a comforting bedside manner. He was making all of these misogynistic jokes while he was looking at me and telling me that Women who complain that they can't get to orgasm, well, that's their fault. It's all in their head. He kept, you know, saying things like women were princesses and spoiled. It's not the man's responsibility to please a woman. This is the stuff he was telling me because he knew I was going to get married soon and he wanted to give me advice. 
So his advice was basically get educated. Don't be an ignorant Mormon girl. Look down there with a mirror. Experiment a little bit. And if you don't have a good experience, it's your fault. That was his advice. Now imagine me, or really any Mormon girl, who has followed the commandments they've been told since they were little, who has, you know, not even really French kissed anyone, who's never slept with anyone, who has absolutely no experience sexually, aside from regular kissing and maybe some cuddling, in being in this position and being told that it's your responsibility to be the educated one, I'm not even allowed to touch myself. I'm Mormon. Okay, we're not allowed to masturbate. Masturbation is a sin. And here's this Mormon gynecologist telling me that I need to educate myself. And it's my responsibility to make sure that I have a good time. And that my husband has a good time. And then he's dissing, ripping on Mormon girls for being so ignorant. How else could I possibly be? I mean, unless I was sleeping around and disobeying my parents and doing everything I was told was bad, how else could I possibly be? But of course, I didn't stop to think, well, that's really messed up. Instead, I was like really worried and felt there was something wrong with me because obviously I should know how to please him and I should know how to have a good time and I should know how to come to orgasm and I should know the names of all the parts and I should be educated and I should be like sex diva even though I never even had sex once. It just wasn't unusual for my community at all. It was normal to put women in these situations where they weren't given training or regard or any sort of, I don't know, just basic education. And then when things went bad, it was all the woman's fault. It wasn't just my family. So it really wouldn't be fair to just blame it on my family. It was the entire culture. And I I wouldn't say that all Mormon homes are like that, or even that all Mormons are like that. I can really only speak to my experience. My experience was a little bit different because I grew up on the East Coast. And yes, my parents were very devout, but they never quite fit in. And sometimes I wonder if my experience would have been even worse had I been in a very Republican, staunchly conservative John Birch Society family. Because if I had probably I would have been even more entrenched, which is hard to imagine because I was so brainwashed. I was really brainwashed. Okay. Interestingly, when it came to who I chose to date, I listened a lot to my parents. So I dated about three men before I married the one that I did. And he was not a good choice. But my parents really liked him. And one reason they really liked him was because he was very Republican and conservative. And that seems strange, doesn't it, listeners? Doesn't it? They were so Democrat. 
but they were happy that he was staunchly conservative because in some part of their psyche, they themselves associated being staunchly conservative with being a righteous, good Mormon person. Almost like they didn't like themselves. Hmm. Anyway, when my little brother, the one who's now a rich lawyer that I don't talk to, just before he went on a mission, he, when he started dating a lot of girls, Mormon girls, he had a tendency to bring home quite a variety. He had one girlfriend with this beautiful red hair who had had a child out of wedlock. And my parents liked her personality, but they didn't really like her because she'd had a child out of wedlock. And they used to make a very big deal out of that. They would say, you don't want to marry her. She may seem nice, but you don't want to marry her because you'll never feel like that child is your child. There's a lot wrong with that, but that's really what they they told him. And he listened to them. There was another girl he brought home. I found her very impressive. See, my brother's intelligent, so he found intelligent women. Another girl he brought home, beautiful. Um, Had this long blonde hair. She was an opera singer. She was intelligent. She could talk about anything. She She was also liberal. She was a liberal Mormon. And she got along really well with my family. And you would think that they would have loved her. I have this memory of her coming into the living room. And singing for us because she was an opera singer and she had this beautiful voice and she was a showman. You could tell she was really into the role she was playing because it wasn't just that she sang beautifully. It was that she could act. She could act out the role of, you know, the opera character she was singing. And she, I found her to be incredibly impressive and amazing. But my brother was like, eh, eh. I don't think she doesn't want kids. You know, I, I we're Mormon. We need to have women who want kids. I'm worried that if we got married, she wouldn't be a stay-at-home mom. She needs to be willing to give up her career ambitions to stay home and raise my kids. And my parents, even though they liked her and she fit in really well with our family, they backed him up. They really leaned on this theme you don't want to marry her you don't want to be with her she's she has too many ambitions she's not going to settle for staying home and raising kids you need that kind of woman who's going to stay home and raise kids and so after seeing my brother date all of these women many of whom were wonderful who I was very impressed with My parents were very serious that we should be dating Republicans because Republicans value family and they're going to be more likely to put aside their careers to spend time with their children and to have the right values. And yet they were Democrats. So, so bizarre. So strange. And... But they really gave us that message clearly. They gave me that message clearly through how they treated my brother's dates that were more liberal. They were clearly not good enough for him. And so when I started bringing home 
people that I was dating, I was, I was told, you know, we would much rather have our children marry people that are firm in the gospel and who are very staunchly Republican than marry someone who may seem to be a little more open-minded, but who isn't going to keep you faithful in the church. So here comes my soon-to-be husband. He's socially awkward. He doesn't really like people. He censors me. Um, There are all these red flags. He sees me like like an object more than a person. And he sees me in a role more than as an individual, more than as a human being. And my parents love him. They think he's fantastic. They think he's wonderful. So that sealed the deal for me. They didn't choose him. I chose him. And I really thought I was in love at the time. In fairness, I chose him. He was my mistake. He was. I think it's important to to look at the whole picture. If I had found a guy who really was more like me in being, I don't know, being kinder and softer and I don't I don't think my parents would have liked him. I think I would have been told all the reasons why he wasn't the right choice. I think my parents wanted me to be controlled. What's that saying about like what you want most in life that you work for often is like the reverse of what you get? I think my parents pushed that control narrative really hard. And then when they got what they wanted, and I got what I thought I wanted, it was so horrendous. I realized it was absolutely not what I wanted. And that's why I ended up leaving the church, ultimately. That's why I ended up leaving my marriage. I mean, at this point, I'm liberal. I'm an atheist. I'm not married. I'm, I'm a single mom. I'm basically the epitome of everything that society scapegoats. I am. But I like myself. And I will never settle for another relationship where I am treated as less than. And I hope, listeners, that you won't either. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining me on the Facebook page called Spotlight on Spiritual Abuse. You can message me there or post. And remember to always trust your instincts. Don't let others tell you how to think.